Wait, what are we talking? You tell me. I thought we were talking romanticism or romanticizing how people tend to romanticize things, why we do it, what it is, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, we're talking the good old days. Like when you think back and you're like, oh, that was, those were the good old days. Things were simple. I was happy, so on and so forth. So you think we romanticize the past? I mean, we romanticize the past and the future alike. Damn. What are we talking about when we say we romanticize something, though? The idea of what it is or what it will be or what it was is much better than what it actually is in real life. (laughs) You sound cynical again, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not cynical. You're just a realist. (laughs) No, I think you're right. When I think of, like, things that are romanticized, it's always this like the idea of a thing or what we what we picture its potential to be mm. and we want it we want to pretend that everything is this perfect potential that exists in our mind of our idea of something and then maybe depending on the life you live oftentimes <laughs> you're faced with the cold harsh truth of reality <laughs> So if we were on Family Feud and I was Steve Harvey standing there and I said, things people often romanticize, what would you answer as your top picks? We're going to skip that one. Next one. Romance is the first one. (laughs) The past. Okay. Professionals. And I know that might sound all encompassing, but it's more than just like a lawyer or a doctor or the military. It's like anyone in the professionals category. Hmm, okay. So would you include experts in that? Like experts are, are romanticized? I don't know if experts are. I think a little bit, but not nearly to the degree. That's not one of my top five for Steve Harvey and the Family Feud. Okay. But they are romanticized, but not... It's not on this. It's not going to make it onto the chart. Okay, so we got those three. Romance, the past, uh, professionals. This one might be a little deep. (laughs) Okay. Mankind. Oh. Like humanity as a whole. Yeah. I guess war is the other obvious one, but. Oh, that's a good one too. I think that goes with, I think that goes with professionals. Maybe not. War. We'll just throw it on. Yeah, it's a little different because with professionals, you're talking really about like that person's power and control and rising above their challenges as a professional and war. You're talking more so about risking your life. For something noble. (laughs) We don't need to rehash (laughs) the last episode. Okay, I want to get to your humankind one real quick. Don't you think it works the other way just as often as they're romanticized? Like, don't you think people are like, humankind is is terrible and mean and cruel and things like that just as much as they're like, humankind is wonderful and innovative and creative? Well, I would say it's actually exactly the same as all the other things that are romanticized. And if you ask a child or you ask someone who's very young, I think their view of mankind will be very romanticized. And I think if you ask someone who's a bit older, possibly more jaded and cynical, (laughs) they're going to have that alternate take that, you know, people are just evil or bad. Mm. And it's because the reality that they experienced didn't align with what we understand of ourselves and our potential to be like in our mind before we experience reality. And it's kind of sad. Obviously, all of it's sad. I think ideally, everyone romanticizes everything and it never gets broken. And this ties in a little bit to um, our Santa Claus episode, our Christmas episode. (laughs) The Christmas special. (laughs) Right? Like, why, why can we lie to our kids and pretend that Santa Claus is real? Well, because it's fun. It makes us happy. Same with romanticizing things, Mm. I think. I think that's 
I don't know if it's why we do it. Part of me thinks we do it because we don't actually have an experience. We only have what we know in our mind or what feelings, what we have very minimal experiences and we're able to like comprehend the potentials in the best ways. I don't know. Right. What that also makes me think of is sports. And when you have people that are undefeated, right, they're undefeated and they've just never lost. That's, it's just, it's such a unique, I think it's like such a primal romantic idea of like being undefeated, right? Because you get beat down one time and you realize that a lot of it is chance, right? But if you're undefeated, then you're limitless, right? You might have beat that person, that team or won that match by seven, or you might have won by a hundred. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no bounds on on your potential. Yeah. Don't you think it is possible that some people never have that romanticism broken? I do. Absolutely. I think I think many people don't have the romanticism broken. And, and again, you can have it broken for some things, but not for others. Yeah, that's true. And so, yeah, I think I would say the majority of people don't have their romanticism broken for many things. I didn't mean to change the topic off the uh, mankind one. Did you have more on that? No, my point is kind of just I feel like people act very fickle on that whole question in the sense that they jump from all mankind is bad all mankind is beautiful they have one good interaction and then all of a sudden like every soul is unique and perfect and everyone can have everything they want if they just are in the right situation you know like it's just people jump from edge to edge and i feel like i mean maybe i'm jaded but i feel like i've just sat in the middle my whole life and been like people are roughly a normal distribution (laughs) You 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 have extreme outliers that are like saints that walk among us and then you have extreme stream outliers that are just absolutely toxic people but most people kind of just live in this middle zone no i think i'd agree with that i think that's probably the most healthiest view but is it the most fun <laughs> i don't know what is the most fun if you were to have a set of beliefs on romanticism that's the most fun would you choose to believe the most romantic or would you choose to believe the most cynical i guess in my mind having a high level of romanticism is almost like kind of risk taking in a way where having a cynical side where oh nothing is you know outside of the norm or nothing is outside of this normal band or nothing's ever good it's easy to kind of limp in and still see the pot so i think we've talked a lot about this kind of thing we haven't put it in these words but i think what we're talking about is like naivety and if you romanticize everything i would call you naive And I would say, you don't, you, I mean, I probably wouldn't say this. I would just think it. But what I would think is, does this person actually think the world works like this? Or do they know it doesn't, but they're just having fun? Kind of like Santa Claus. Thankfully for Santa Claus, I know, like if I'm talking to an adult, they know Santa Claus isn't real. You being the exception. Um, Whereas if I'm talking to a child, they probably think Santa Claus is real. And so I'm very easily able to answer the question I ask myself in my head. So yeah, I would say that people that are romantics are naive but maybe they're having more fun than the rest of us well i'd also say regarding just real quick about the santa claus bit is imagine if you were to get that wrong right just an idea i'm throwing out there if santa claus is real like if i believe in santa claus and he turns out not to be real what have i lost versus if you don't believe in santa claus and he does turn out to be real you've turned your back on a pretty powerful magical man (laughs) santa claus would forgive you Your number one family feud romanticized item was rom- romance. 
Before we hit that, I want to I want to talk about that for sure. I want to hit on uh, the past first. I think because I think it's I think the past is unique when you compare it to any of the other topics, and I think it's probably the most common thing to be romanticized is the past. I also think it is the most harmless, the least harmful, right? Like it is the safest thing to romanticize. And I say that because, okay, you can't do it immediately, right? If something bad happens or you experience something negative, you need to be able to ask yourself like, okay, what what happened? What could I do differently in order to learn, to learn from your bad experience that you had? So you don't do it again. After you've learned from it though, there is no point in number one, thinking about it if it upsets you. Once you've learned the lesson, let it go. One step better than that is romanticize it. <laughs> because it doesn't cost you anything. You've learned the lesson and now you are creating good feelings, good memories, good emotions with these things in the past. Unless you conflate those good feelings with, oh, I should do more of that again, at which point, okay, you failed to learn whatever lesson you're supposed to learn from your bad experiences. But so long as you don't do that, I think it's extremely healthy to romanticize the past because it doesn't have a negative impact on your future behavior. And more than that, it has a positive impact on your current mental health or whatever you want to call it, emotional state, happiness. Yeah, that's a good point. It's almost like it's your way of repairing, right? Yeah. Because otherwise you'll be kept up all night thinking about all those awkward interactions you've had your entire life. (laughs) Why did I say that when that, why did I say that? (laughs) (laughs) Sound like you've done this a lot. (laughs) No, dude. I uh, romanticized my past, actually. (laughs) Good. I think it's healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Once I start romanticizing the army, I'll know that I've really achieved uh, Zen. I think that's what it's called. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so I got that out of the way to say about all the other topics or all of the other ones that... (laughs) Romanticism is bad. (laughs) Not necessarily bad, right? But you're weighing your ability to be happy or to, to... And again, this is... I don't know if it's black and white, right? It's a little nuanced, but you're weighing if you can romantic if you romanticize things aside from the past, okay, you might be able to feel happy and whatever else, whatever that is, whatever that means, or have a positive, optimistic outlook. But I do think if it's not aligned with reality, which oftentimes romanticized things are not aligned with reality, you will have difficulty affecting the world around you, shaping it to how you want it to be, affecting your own life and accomplishing the things you want to accomplish and and doing the things you want to do. Because if you don't understand the world, you, I mean, you can't do anything. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, and again, I, I think we've talked about this in other episodes. I know we have, we've hit on it. We've called it different things, but I think it's these two things that go hand in hand, which is control over, over reality. How much control do you want versus how much do you want to feel this romanticized idea of things? and forfeit control. And can you be happy if you're not in control? Or are you in control if you're happy? (laughs) Well, aside from the control thing, it's interesting you introduced that. Let's uh, set that aside for a second. Um, I I think a lot of it has to do with like the disconnect between how you think you will feel or you think you should feel versus like how you actually do feel. Sure. Do you have a specific example? Sure. Doesn't have to be personal. This sounds bad. This sounds bad. But dude, I think I romanticize vacations a lot. Like this idea of like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go here or there. I'm going to go to the beach. Right. And I'm going to hang out and it's going to be nice. And I'm going to, and it, it just never really feels like you would think. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a bad vacationer. And then sometimes I go on like more 
I guess, adventurous vacations where I'm like, like a trip abroad, for example, you go to like a a foreign country or whatever, and you get kind of psyched out to be like, oh, I'm going to see this part of the world and all that. And it's good. It's fine. Like you romanticize it. You think you're thinking like, oh, I'm going to go out there and actually see it. But like during the actual vacation, a lot of times it can be stressful or uncomfortable. And like, you don't have your own space. You're packing out of a bag, all these other different things. And then of course, afterwards you'll be like oh i'm glad i did that like i'm i feel appreciative that i did that and maybe as time wears on you romanticize it more and more but it's not always this like it's rarely the same feeling you think you're gonna have when you go into it yeah well i would say it's a little dangerous if you romanticize it immediately after right if you go on this vacation and you don't enjoy it or at least you don't enjoy it as much as you should considering you spent however much money if you're going abroad whatever whatever the costs are and the time if you romanticize it immediately even though you didn't enjoy it you're gonna keep doing it you're not gonna learn a lesson from that and say maybe i want to do something else with my time and not this wasn't that go in contrast to your point about romanticizing the past from earlier isn't it dangerous to romanticize the past for that reason i put a qualifier on it though (laughs) what was your qualifier i forget your qualifier dude (laughs) this is important this is a very important qualifier it's the only qualifier i put on it before you romanticize the past you need to reflect on it and learn whatever needs to be learned from that moment. And so let's say you go on a trip and you don't really enjoy it that much, but it was fine or whatever. Afterwards, understand maybe why you didn't enjoy it. And maybe it was just because you messed up your scheduling or you messed up your your plan was poor and so you were stressed out. Or maybe it was some factor that you can alter. But whatever it is, you need to reflect on it and identify like why you didn't enjoy it so that you can change your behavior in the future. Or why you think you didn't enjoy it. Maybe you'll get it wrong. But you do at least need to say, okay, I think if I do these two things differently, I'll enjoy it next time. Then once you've taken, you've gotten your takeaway, then you can romanticize it and pretend it was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) But if you romanticize it immediately, you're never going to learn anything. Everything's going to be perfect. Do you find yourself romanticizing anything besides the army? (laughs) You know, less and less. I think I used to romanticize things a lot as a kid. And I mean, yeah, I'm using this word hand in hand with naive. I think I used to be really naive as a kid too. (laughs) And I used to think the world was one way and it was another. I do think I'm starting to romanticize the past a bit more, which I think is healthy and good. And I'm not romanticizing everything about the army, (laughs) but I do romanticize some of the stuff. Like what? Just some of the, um, I mean, there were, I had some fun in the army and I had some fun at West Point. (laughs) And yeah, just some certain experiences. I think it also helps to think back to the positive experiences you have instead of the negative ones. <laughs> Dude, what is it about like a memory where you like did not like it? Like we'll use your West Point example. And well, I guess you I guess you liked it. Yeah, I was a weirdo. I was one of the few people. <laughs> but there's something about like you you take your West Point beast experience or something like that as an example. It's like something about having a negative but harmless experience kind of makes you romanticize it and i don't mean negative like i don't know if it's negative it's just maybe it's it's not even like hardship really but there's something about the like the maybe it's more of a stockholm syndrome type thing like just (laughs) just being forced to be in a type a very unique type of lifestyle or situation it almost creates its own container in your mind 
Yeah, I was definitely okay with a lot of things at West Point just because, I mean, it was just everyone's doing it and it, I mean, it is what it is. And so I don't even think I thought twice about a lot of it. I don't know if I get, I get as much of what you're saying from, you know, a rough experience or whatever as I do from, it depends who I'm going through it with. I mean, you talk about a rough experience, okay, Beast, and you're going to laugh when I make this comparison. (laughs) But like, okay, Beast, I don't know. I, I actually don't really have many memories from Beast. I can probably, if I think about it long enough, I can probably come up with three. But, and I think I've got negative memories of basic training. Positive memories of Beast when I was the platoon leader for it. Anyways, the point is, I was going to make the comparison to, um, I've got some pretty negative memories about Ranger School. (laughs) (laughs) And And you're not nostalgic for that? I am not nostalgic for Ranger School. Pretty negative memories. So the key, I mean, and maybe it depends on the individual. The key factor for me seems to be like, who am I going through the suck with? And are we kind of making it fun? And I think that's it. That's a really good point. Because if you're not having fun, why are you doing it? (laughs) The other, I guess, experience I can romanticize that sucked was Best Sapper Competition. Mm. It was not, I mean, they got got our boots wet. We ended up rucking, I don't know how many miles, dude, 20. We got picked up by the truck. But... But um, we rocked like 10 miles and then they had a swim and didn't let us change our boots and socks and then wanted us to ruck another 12 miles. Nice. And I was like, yeah, dude, um, <laughs> I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> yeah. like, All right. You step over to Station 11. Sergeant, Edger- <laughs> Sergeant Eversman will cheese grate your guys' feet and then you'll finish, <laughs> finish the rest of the ruck. <laughs> But aside from that, I did enjoy the the best sapper competition, but it's because I did it with one of like my best buddies in the unit. Yeah, it is, man, it is interesting. It is really all about the people, kind of, as far as whether you'll romanticize it or not. And a lot of the other stuff just kind of falls away over time. Yeah. See, I think people romanticize the future just as much as they romanticize the past. I agree with you. Well, you don't want to be totally hopeless. Dude, isn't that what consumerism is? Isn't that consumerism? It's this idea that you... You're like, oh, well, I'm going to get this car in, in a couple of years and it's going to be, you know, the RT2 model and the seats are going to be leather and all this other stuff. And, you know, then once you get the car, then you're looking at the house or you're looking at this new, these new things for your wardrobe. Like, I feel like it is similar to consumerism. And that's just maybe one part of romanticizing about the future, too. But in the, another part is like professions. Like, you think that, <laughs> like, when you're a kid, you play like doctor or lawyer or whatever and stuff like that and then you're you're like oh i'm off to work and then oh i'm back from work and oh i saved a bunch of lives today and then like the real thing is like oh you're a lawyer have fun pouring over these case files for 11 hours well there's that dude there's a lot of adults that romanticize what a lawyer does and it's because you don't know and i mean dude the truth is most lawyers don't ever go to trial for anything half the lawyers are just paper pushers in the office doing paperwork and signing forms the other half not even half there's like 10 percent. most lawyers don't go to trial they're afraid of it they don't know how to do it i'm afraid of trial dude i, I don't fault them for that i i would love to go to trial against a lawyer you know why you would, you would get wrecked i don't why? think so i don't think so multiple reasons objection your honor uh leading the witness <laughs> Here's why. The judge would give me leniency that they wouldn't give a lawyer, quote unquote, air quotes here. You give me leniency because I haven't had nine years of school to learn whatever stupid words. He'll understand what I'm trying to say or what what point I'm making. He's going to go more for my intent. 
than what, you know, what specifically I say. Number two, and this goes back to an old army story, if you're interested. I'm interested. All right. We're in basic officer course. We're doing combatives. And I think I'm pretty good at combatives. And one of my buddies probably weighs like 60 more pounds than I do. He was like the meathead of our class. Big Mike. <laughs> it was not Mike. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to listen to this, but the guy I'm talking about is quite a bit. Uh, Mike's very intelligent. Not quite as intelligent as Mike. <laughs> I was joking about it being Mike, by the way. So It's not Mike. This guy's more of a meathead. Anyways, um, he really wants to like spar me. And so we get to a day where we're allowed to like call people out in the sparring circle. And you just grapple until someone taps. And I'm pretty sure I've had a little bit more combatives training than this guy. So I know a little bit, not that I'm some grappling guru, but I know more than him. And I'm confident that I know more than him. And I'm not totally weak. I just, I'm just down 60 pounds on him. And he wanted to fight me. And dude, I relate this. This is exactly the same as me taking on like a lawyer. If I get into the ring and I lose, it doesn't matter. Yeah, of course I lost. You have 60 pounds on me. Now, if I lose in the first like three seconds, okay, that's embarrassing. I knew I wasn't going to lose in the first three seconds because right. I've sparred them. I've done like a, like a practice thing before. So like I wasn't worried about complete shame and embarrassment. So actually, I only, I can only win from this. If I lose, of course I lost. It doesn't matter. If I win, you got 60 pounds on me, dude. <laughs> It's a win-win for me. Yeah. I would say the same about the situation with the uh, with a lawyer. Well, I would never hope that you would have to stand trial, but if you do, I do hope you represent yourself. I will definitely be at the trial. <laughs> Recording the whole thing. <laughs> Not allowed to, but I will make some courtroom sketches. <laughs> what did you think about my uh, theory, essentially, that you can either romanticize something, but if you do, you're... You're going to be less capable, I guess, to shape the world how you want it. I agree. I mean, I agree with that that viewpoint. I think you can't separate romanticism from a naive naivety. I mean, I think you can separate out another thing, which is like this desire, like just wanting things, period, right? Like having some sort of goal or desire to do something, obtain, be whatever, X, having a goal to do something other than just exist and judge the world around you. And I think that if you just simplify it to, oh, if you're not romantic, then you're just being cynical about everything. And, you know, I think that that's too simple of a model maybe to talk about. But if you separate out, okay, well, if someone who is not romantic or whimsical in their thinking, but they are strongly driven for something, that would, to me, seem like the strongest combination. Yeah, you still strive for an ideal, but you do so recognizing reality, something like that, maybe. Much better words than I had for it, but yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, you spelled it out for me, and then I just read it. Kind of... <laughs> should I put down the note cards, or should we keep going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk about your, your uh, consumerism point, too. I don't know if that's the same thing as romanticizing. I mean, I guess you, I would call that like certain people are romanticizing having things mm. or maybe a status that comes with owning things. And so, yeah, I guess I would leave it at that. The romanticizing material things. And I think that is consumerism, but I don't, I think that's where like the relationship ends, right? Like I think romanticism is something more than that. And I would say consumerism is bad, but I guess I don't even know if consumerism is bad. If that actually makes you happy, I mean, do it. I just think a lot of times people spend their money on a car or whatever, and they assume that they're going to be happy because they've romanticized it and then they're not, and then they need to buy something else. 
And again, I would say, if you're not happy after making your purchase, maybe reflect on that so that you can change your behavior. Otherwise, you're going to be like a rat in a rat race. All right, do you want to get us started on the last the last uh, topic from the Family Feud? What was the last one? Romance, dude. I mean, there's a reason why it's the same root word as romanticism, first off. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Why did that jump to your number number one on your list? Probably the sharing of the etymology of the word. <laughs> yeah. Dude, okay. Uh, I think it's it's probably the most common one too. I mean, you look at Hollywood movies. It might also be, and here's an interesting question: If we agree, maybe that it's the most commonly romanticized thing, kind of poses the question like, why is that? I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's the most fun. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that is that is a dangerous life view to have, but I think you're right. Because <laughs> everyone does it. Everyone does it. Well, unlike the other ones, it's encouraged, right? Yeah. To a degree that the rest of them are not, right? Well, here's, yeah, to your point, it's even fun for like people on the outside. Right. They're like, yeah. oh, what happened? What did you guys do? What, how did, how did it go? What, what, you know, like they want all the details. When are you guys doing this? When's that happening? You know, uh, <laughs> it's fun for everyone <laughs> to romanticize it. That's exactly right. And think as like a 30 year old guy, you have barely any perspective on that compared to someone who's like in their younger years. <laughs> And most women, I think, are more romantic. Don't you think they romanticize more? Women absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also it scales with age. Like, when you're younger, you romanticize everything. And then when you're older, you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, you guys share all the same hobbies. That's incredible. Okay. <laughs> Feel like you could spend all this time together. Oh, that's that's gonna last forever, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny to do, dude? What? Feel free to steal this from me, but um, that goes to the audience too. But yeah, I don't know if you've ever like had a, a song come on, like, oh, I love this song. And then the girl is like, oh yeah, me too. Or like, this is my favorite song. <laughs> You can kind of like troll them and call out like you make a joke about how it's so romantic and perfect <laughs> and the bitches love it like what give me an example like like you're driving in the car and i'm sitting in the passenger seat what happens next i love this song oh i love this one too it's my favorite <laughs> oh my god we have so much in common <laughs> <laughs> Something along those lines. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. And I've thought about this too. It's kind of weird. Like, is it weird that, like, if you're dating and stuff, people are always talking about what they like? Like, likes. Snowboarding. Cappuccinos. <laughs> playing chess. Like, like it's weird because it's like, okay, well, you're... Why'd you read your own profile? That was... Oh your my profile? god, I was reading yours, dude. <laughs> Is that your favorite too? <laughs> oh my god, we have so much in common. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what was the point you were making, dude? Go ahead. I was saying it's like kind of funny because it's like, what are what are people trying to do when they're dating? They're like trying to pair up with someone, right? For 
a long time trying to find like their person, their mate or whatever, right? So like they start this whole mating ritual with like like one hippo walks up to the other one and it's like, oh, I like small waterfalls and when birds perch on my, perch on my back and I like and I like cantaloupes. Like why are why are we starting with like what we like? What do you, what? <laughs> like, how is that? How is that the opener? But that seems like it is. Yeah, I had an easier time answering that question with your first list of likes. The second list of likes actually created like a different answer in my mind. So to answer the second one, you like the birds perched on your shoulder and whatever else it was. Well, I was just comparing it to the animal kingdom. Like, like it just, it's so full. It's so weird that that's the initial piece, right? Well, in the second one, I think it's in order to create some sort of image of yourself. Like this is, this is who I am, right? Like what you list as your likes I think it does say a lot about you, right? Like the person that says, I like birds perched on my shoulder, as opposed to the person that says, I like snowboarding. Two very different types of people. And... Okay, I was saying it was a hippo in the second one. Oh, a hippo on your shoulder? Yes, I was talking about it in like animal terms. I wasn't talking about <laughs> oh, like... You were pretending like, to be a hippo. <laughs> yes. Dude. Of course. I don't know why I didn't pick up on that. It's kind of a weird reference, but I, the reason I'm saying it is because it's like, it's a weird when you think of us as like an animal species and we're like doing this mating ritual and the, and the thing that we do first of all or one of the first things is go through a list of what we like like why is this monkey these two monkeys meet up and one of them's like i love branches and and you know swimming every all every so often like, and the other monkey's like i love branches too <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh yeah. my god yeah. <laughs> Dude, does the like say that much about you or does it say more about how you want to be perceived? I mean, all of that, Every you could apply that to anything, especially when you're talking the romantics category of romanticism is, are we talking about how someone wants to be perceived or what they actually like? Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you have the understanding that most women romanticize everything. <laughs> <laughs> so you're playing into it. <laughs> I'm not saying I am, but many people do. You need to stop telling them that you're a lawyer. <laughs> I am a lawyer. <laughs> I don't have a degree. <laughs> well, if I was to apply our, I mean, it's funny when you put it that way. If I was to apply our uh, lessons about reminiscing about the past or like bad experiences, we talked about it mattering like who you're doing it with. And I think a lot of people out there are just looking to do the things that they like with someone else that they like. They're like, okay, if I've got to be stuck with someone the rest of my life, at least let them enjoy snowboarding so I can keep going on my snowboarding trips. That's true. <laughs> That's the only plausible explanation I can give. But it is funny to think about the monkeys because the monkeys, they all like the same stuff. I love, yeah, branches and bananas. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to find a monkey out there that doesn't like branches and bananas. Perfect match every single time. Perfect match. It's not specific enough. Yeah. You know what a romantic would say? What? Well, human beings, each one of us is unique, unlike the monkey. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Wow. I wouldn't consider myself an artsy person at all. But in high school, we did do this art history class. And what I did find interesting is this way that it's like cycles and how art, at least like visual art, was always bouncing between a romanticism movement where everything is very emotional and flowy and like whimsical and like based on ideas and intent. And then it flowed, it always cycled back to something more 
concrete and classical with ratios. And normally that classical or neoclassical always harkened back to tradition and history and like great events, like a more realistic piece. And then it goes back to the romanticism side too. I guess every genre was still, even though it moved in cycles, there was always some sort of romanticism in the genre. There was an impressionism and, and romanticism. It was all about like, oh, it makes you feel this type of way. Whereas in the, the more traditional ones, it was like, it was almost like this romanticism of we're bringing back or like somehow capturing what was ancient Greece. And this is the new ancient Greece. Yeah. You know, I've never, I haven't ever taken an art history class, but I do think it would be interesting to see how those cycles of art align with like the cycles of civilization where mm. strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times and so on. And if the art corresponds to, to the time that you're in. And I would imagine the ones that are more artsy, emotional and like romantic are created either probably not by the strong men, but right after the strong men create the good times. Right. Because they've created like a perfect utopia, which of course can't last, but during that time, you get a lot of incredible things. And then you go through the hard times and arts like, you know, the arts are like, okay, well, let's get back to reality. This isn't reflective anymore of reality. And I don't know. It would be interesting to see if there's a correlation between those two. Do you know, based on your art history class? I definitely remember hearing some things like that. Like I remember that because we were talking about the French Revolution and before that, it was kind of interesting. And I think there's some parallels to the day. Before the French Revolution, they viewed the French aristocracy as like this very like privileged, like Fluous type cast, right? They a lot of them had lands and money and all these other things just through nature of being a descendant of an aristocrat, right? And then the commoners, the plebs, plebeians, whatever viewed it as unfair. And then I remember you moved in from a like very flowery, romantic, but also kind of like not like that meaningful, like kind of like just trinket like art to then going into like neoclassical where you have like napoleon <laughs> and you're bringing up like conquerors from greece and rome and the same guy is like making portraits of napoleon you know so yeah i mean i think that lines up with what you're saying exactly i guess my idea with the idea of romanticism is do you think it also operates beyond the individual level like do you think that you can be in like a society that is captured in romanticism do you think you can live in a time period that is a romantic time period a naive time period i do absolutely <laughs> are we living in a naive romantic time period right now i don't think so i think in order to live in a romantic time period you know maybe we just exited one but i think if you've got people that are young and are romanticizing everything and then they switch in adulthood, I think it's very clear that you're not living in a romanticized time period. And it might be the tail end of one where it used to be okay to romanticize everything. And then, and now it's like a, it's such a, it's a burden to romanticize things. Like it, it hinders you from, from functioning in reality because reality is, I mean, I'm not too cynical, dude, but sometimes reality sucks. dude. <laughs> you sound like a goth, dude. Dude, The Matrix was a good movie, man. I related to those goths. 
but I was never a goth myself. What do you think? You think we're living through romantic times? I think we've come out of them. I think we're, I mean, it's everything is gradual, right? Like everything, it's never, boom, it's never a clear cycle, right? But I feel like there's a certain euphoria and just like blanket happiness and romanticism that seems like that was kind of, kind of common, especially in America for maybe a couple of decades. And it feels like we're coming out of that and it's like you're at a party and some people are starting to get sober. <laughs> oh man <laughs> you sound like a goth dude dude should we become the goths together dude <laughs> bring some of our friends too i just gotta take my uh black leather jacket out of the closet man i'm good to go <laughs> my black trench coat <laughs> dude the only cool character in all of the matrix was trinity the rest of them were like mm, not so cool really dude i don't i still to this day i I like the matrix i love i like all three movies dude i dude the neo and morpheus stuff is kind of cringe to me yeah actually a lot of it's cringe what about tank and dozer okay okay <laughs> we're talking tank and dozer dude they're okay <laughs> See, anyone who says you're racist, man, they just don't know you. Nobody says I'm racist. <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> so are you, for your next 50, 60 years, are you going to romanticize stuff? In the past? Both past, future? Dude, I'll romanticize the past quite a bit. Yeah. I think it's healthy. The future? Well, this is interesting, man. I think we've all heard what Jamie Dimon said about Bitcoin. Of course. That comes first in my mind when I think of my next 50 years. <laughs> It's relevant, dude. Let me <laughs> let me get to it. He was talking about Bitcoin and pretty much saying, like, how do you know it's capped at 21 million? How do you know a picture of Satoshi's face laughing at you doesn't pop up? And then, you know, 22 million coins come about and 23 and so on. And what he's really saying is that he's skeptical. And I heard other people say something similar. Warren Buffett and uh, Charlie Munger. They both said uh, something along the lines of, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And you know, I think I'm pretty skeptical of just about everything. And when we're talking about, you know, being hopeful or romanticizing some future, I mean, you got to have something to romanticize about. <laughs> and I think, you know, the lesson that the skeptic has learned is that it's dangerous to romanticize because, you know, you might get burned, whether it's financially or in whatever sense it is, right? We're talking Jamie Dimon, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, you're talking financially. But if you're skeptical in general, you're aware of the danger of, of romanticism. And the fact that, I mean, I'll say it, dude, I think I romanticize Bitcoin a bit. And I only do it because I'm that confident that it's safe to do it. I don't, there is no getting burnt. <laughs> and if I do get burned... <laughs> I think I said this in a previous episode, but it'll be... Uh, you don't be, need to say it again. <laughs> it'll be the final burn. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. All right. That's that's some to, some stuff to unpack. Dude, I, I think I already get nostalgic for Bitcoin. I was at a Bitcoin event, and they had the Seed Signer guy. Are you familiar with Seed Signer, the project Seed Signer? No. Okay, so it's, it's pretty cool. The guy took, like, Raspberry Pi nano or something like that but they're just tiny little tiny little computers right and he made just the simplest open source software firmware to run on it and so it's just like this homemade little bitcoin signing device so it like holds your like what you would use for a ledger or a cold card to hold your key and the difference with this one that makes it really interesting is it doesn't actually hold it in memory you 
it has a camera and you have to scan a QR code into memory every time. It doesn't have a hard drive, so it can't, it doesn't save it. Cool project. But anyway, I was meeting this guy and I was like, this is cool. And he had like just different seed signer paraphernalia stuff there. And I'm like, dude, I want all of this. Dude. I want a little, I want a little Bitcoin shelf in my house and to put all this like early Bitcoin stuff in. I mean, you, this is weird, but do you ever get nostalgic for the early web? Like the web from when we were kids, like when we were in middle school and stuff? Dude, I'm afraid I'm going to let you down on this. You don't. I don't think so, man. Okay. I remember, what I remember about the early web is the dial up, waiting 10 minutes, 10 minutes for a website to, to load, clicking the refresh button too many times, and now I've got to wait another 10 minutes because I accidentally clicked refresh because I thought it timed out. You know what, dude? I got, I'm going to start working on romanticizing that next. Yeah, dude. Put that in your romanticizing queue. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think I'm already romanticizing Bitcoin, and it's kind of weird because you think about it, because we're both very confident that this is going places. And you think about like, well, what if the what if the adoption's 10x? So now instead of, you know, 20,000 or 10,000 weirdos online talking about it, then all of a sudden it's 200,000 or it's 2 million and then it's 20 million. And it loses some of the fun because you're like, I had a freaking junkie Bitcoin junkie group that met up every couple weeks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like having the... <laughs> This was probably you in high school. You found some underground band that no one listened to. And then they went mainstream. And you're like, ugh, I don't like them anymore. <laughs> A perfect circle, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that would distinguish you, though, when Bitcoin takes off is if you've got the early day paraphernalia. Is that the right word? <laughs> paraphernalia. The, yeah, the pattern. <laughs> what would you what would you even call it? Swag? Paraphernalia, dude. Souvenirs. I gotta look that word up. Anyways, if you've got that stuff, it would be pretty badass. It would be essentially your proof of proof of the fact that you were early and how early you were. I already have like 10 Bitcoin books. I'm definitely making a little Bitcoin shelf. Dude, I was about to congratulate you like, holy shit. But then you said books and I was like, ah, never mind. <laughs> 10 Bitcoin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, I mean, when you think about it, these past two years, I think you've read a lot too, but there's been a lot of Cyphernomicon, the metaverse one, what was that called? Uh, With Hirohito? Yeah. Snow Crash. Snow Crash. Bitcoin Standard, Fiat Standard, uh, the seventh property, bullish case for Bitcoin. Thank God for Bitcoin. I mean, there's like 10 books out. It's crazy. Yeah. Dude, there are some that like, there's like a second layer to Bitcoin reading in theory like the creature from jekyll island which is like a thousand page book have you read that or do you I know what I'm about? i know of it i, I haven't read it yeah but yeah to go back to the souvenir piece like one of the things was this it was like a jar and it had these little tiny seed words so two thousand little pieces or a thousand because there was one on each side and it was like every seed word so that you could come up with a completely random seed word just using like these little plastic pieces and i was like oh that is so i romanticized it yeah is there romanticism in a negative sense because are there because a lot of bitcoiners are like bitcoin solves this and they look forward to a bitcoin standard is there a dark side to what's coming <laughs> the old ultimate romantic answer no <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if there's a dark side to bitcoin i think i've already expressed what i think is the dark side to romantics or romanticism period which is it makes you vulnerable to to being taken advantage of it makes you kind of naive it makes you incapable of shaping your world 
But I think that's the only I think that's the only negative of, of romanticism. Hmm, that's fair. What do you think? I think that and you're gonna disagree with me on this. I think that there's a lot of things that maybe Bitcoiners I think Bitcoin's gonna be ninety percent good. I think they don't realize some things as far as if we have a hard money. Okay, I'll just come out and say the specific thing I'm thinking about. Bitcoiners are very, there's a lot of anarcho type capitalist people within Bitcoin. Hell yeah. I think that if they were to land themselves in an anarcho-capitalist world, they would quickly find themselves in a situation where they would be like, you know what, let's uh, join up with other people and make a little citadel. And then when they'd made a little citadel, they'd be like, you know what, let's join up with these other citadels and make sure that, you know, A, invaders can't, you know, hurt us. And B, you know, let's just have some common rules between the citadels to make sure that, like, I don't just get ripped off if I'm going one town over. And then bada bing, bada boom, you're back into the United States of America. No, not necessarily the United States of America. It can be much smaller than that. But I think I think there is a political naivety. Damn it, I can't say it. A political naiveness. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced naivety when you're saying it like that. Naivety? Yeah. Here, let me I'm just gonna do this, dude. We've said it too many times. Holy shit, it's naivety. <laughs> well, that sounds stupid. Let's change it. Dude, I think naivety sounds better. Whatever. Anyway, I think there are some blind spots within the movement. As far as the technology itself, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think that like there's there's so little downside. Like what's the downside to porting over to this system? Being the last one to switch over? That would suck. I think I've said this before, but I don't really consider it a downside. I do think the adjustment period will be extremely difficult for a lot of people. And by a lot of people, I mean like probably 80% of people. The adjustment to a hard money, the... I mean, you look at how people are living today, especially in America. Take a loan for a car. Take a loan for a house. Take a loan for your groceries. Take a loan for a TV. Take a loan for everything. Take a loan for your maintenance on your air conditioning unit. Everything. Your furniture, your bed. We want stuff now and we want to pay later. And we can do that and benefit because that's one of the benefits of, of inflation. I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't think money's money's not gonna be easy. And we can talk about all the all the benefits of or all the, the problems with our fiat money, the fact that it can be printed away and it's hard to store our value. There are benefits with the fact that we have 31 trillion in debt, right? And the benefit is that we've spent 31 trillion dollars that we don't have. <laughs> well, the benefit is to us, right? And the generation before us, right? Right. And the gener yeah, and the generation before them. And yeah, at some point someone has to suffer. And I think the I just think it's going to be a very different reality when we switch to a hard money standard when we're, you know, we've been living the past however many generations have been living with 31 trillion in debt now. I mean, we're spending money that and we're assuming our kids are going to pay for it. Yeah, but I think there's going to be a resource abundance compared to today. I think it's going to fix, right, I would agree with that. So it's like this weird weird thing where it's like it's going to force you to be more responsible, but if you're forced to be responsible, you'll be able to buy way more for every hour of effort that you have. It's going to be weird. <laughs> well, I think the, yeah, the point I'm trying to make, and it's the same point I try and make, even though you won't agree with this one, but it's the same point I try and make when I argue for like why anarchy or anarcho-capitalism would be better. But it's this idea that initially everyone is going to be operating on old rules. Some small minority of people will identify, hey, the rules have changed. This is how we need to operate. And so if we're talking about on the Bitcoin standard, financially speaking, this is how we need to financially operate. This is how money works now. All of these rules that I used to apply and be successful with in under the fiat money and the fiat standard 
are no longer applicable, will no longer be successful under the Bitcoin standard. And I think very intelligent people will be able to make the transition. And I also think the younger generations will have an easier time making the transition because they won't have learned bad habits. But if you're talking about like your, I don't know who's who's going to be the worst generation, probably anyone from like 40 to 40 to 60 would have the hardest time with this. Mm. And if you think about where most of the wealth is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. That's the only negative thing I can think of. But again, it's not like a real negative. It's just a, it's something that has to, we have to endure in order to switch to the new, the new standard, the new money. And the end result is better. The new romantic ideal, post-Bitcoin hyper, hyper-Bitcoinization, everything's going to be wonderful. <laughs> Just like after the French Revolution, everything wonderful, dude. <laughs> Don't compare those two, dude. It's guillotines and then Napoleon and then yeah, <laughs> Napoleon again. <laughs> 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 All right, party hard! Thanks for listening, guys. Hopefully, you're uh, keeping it down to earth, keeping it uh, realistic out there, but still romanticizing the past when it's appropriate. Yes. <laughs> When is it not appropriate? When you haven't learned. Nice, dude. I See, I've been taking notes, brother. All right. <laughs> Peace.